This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. All right, welcome back to Missions, Bringing Order to Chaos. We are on Lesson 7, and tonight it is entitled, If Christ is King, Our Mission is Order. So this is, we've got uh, this week and next week, and then that's, we're done on our end of things. So I know you, you, in total, you will have gotten four less classes than what you paid for. So I do apologize for that. Um, but I'll be traveling after that. Um, I'll be up in all the northern area. And so, um, so we have tonight and next week. And so let's dig right into it. Um, I'm excited about what we have planned for this evening. But first, for review, I didn't forget my slide this week. So I thought to myself, don't forget it because we really need it. So we know that there is chaos that is all around us. That's evident on uh, a macro level all the way down to the micro level, right? Everybody's dealing with sniffles and sickness and illness and all of that. So uh, from big to little, there's chaos that absolutely abounds. But when we go back and we look, we, we look at how Christ, he didn't even come from outside of everything, right? He already was when nothing else was. And Christ from outside created all that there was. There was never a battle for him to control chaos. There was never, uh, never something that he, he tried to wrangle a hold of and then claim victory over, but only with words, with simple words and utterances. I love how Psalm, uh, Psalm 42 says, or excuse me, Psalm 46, the heathen rage, right, and the earth, uh, trembled. No, 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 what I'm thinking of is Psalm 46. The heathen raged in the mountains, right? They tremble. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. All he does is utter and Christ controls all. And so there's never a battle for him to control chaos. He simply came in, created, and when he created, he created order. We looked at these seven principles of order that we found within the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2. And because order is not how we feel that it should be. As we look around and we say, well, we have to bring all things into order. It's not that we bring it into the likeness of our own image or how we want things or the pencils lined up just straight, but rather we have to bring it into what God says is objectively ordered. And so not only did he create order, but then he mandated it. He gave mankind the dominion mandate. He said, go out take dominion, bring things into order in my name. And this is the mandate that was given to us. But then we see in Genesis 3 that sin came and chaos ensued. Mankind ate and from there we went through and we watched the progress of chaos in every chapter of the Bible. Everything that we see, chaos simply abounded. And yet, Christ brought himself glory in the ultimate moment of chaos when Christ hung on the cross. He took chaos and turned it on its head and he made it work for him. And so when we saw that, we looked at uh, Psalm chapter, excuse me, Psalm 8, and we saw that there's this beautiful picture. It's the creation story given all over again in poetic form. And we see we're looking at what man should have been, and we go, yes, 
And then we get that nagging feeling of awe. Something is missing. It never added up. And as we look at Psalm 8, quoted in the New Testament, we see how it reflected back onto Christ, and he came and fulfilled what we could not. And therefore, he opened the door for you and I to come in and in Christ to fulfill this uh, order. And so Christ is the perfect one who came to right our wrongs. Now, what we're going to look at tonight, we are required to bring order to that which is around us. So what is missions, right? We get this idea of I have to go to Timbuktu, I have to go to Chuuk, I'm right, right, Brother Radice has to come to Chuuk now that uh, Brother Warren has said that. And so uh, we, we get the idea that, right, missions is out there. And then we also know, right, even the other day, uh, Milena was listening to a Bible class where, well, you know, missions is right next door, and that's true. But we have to ask ourselves, what then are we talking about? What does it mean? What is the mission of God? And tonight, we're going to get into that. And so the lesson objective, okay, I want the student to remember the actual reality of Christ's present kingship as well as the student's position within that kingdom so that he can practically bring order to the surrounding chaos, right? In other words, what do I want you to get out of this? What's your key takeaway here? Christ has equipped every single believer with the ability to bring order into the world for his sake. So we have a little bit of time. Let's get ready to uh, go quickly. The first thing that we need to realize then tonight is that Christ is king. Christ is king. Now, we sing this a lot. We say it a lot. We know it a lot. Uh, we talk about it. But we really need to get it into our hearts, into our minds, that Christ is not some one-day king that, you know, is kind of fuzzy. He's not king of the nether world that we can't touch or be a part of. Christ is an actual king of this actual realm. He desi desires to see uh, him, excuse me, he desires to rule all things, and he does. So, John chapter 18, we're going to go ahead and divvy up like we did last week. Okay, again, anybody not want to read, just slip your hand up real quick, down, up and down. All right, okay. All right, Brother Tony, if I can start with you, John 18, 37. Miss Wanda, if we can do Mark 15, 32. Ooh, let's see, C1 has a lot of really, I'm going to worry about C1 because there's a lot of good stuff there. There's a lot of good stuff everywhere. Um, let's do um, Psalm 110, verse 2. And then, Brother Kelly, 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 25. And then, uh, Auntie Laura, if you can get 1 Timothy 6, 15 through 16. All right, and we'll stop there for now. We're going to go through these quickly, but as per usual, please email me with questions. Feel free to go ahead and talk about it now if you've got questions. Uh, and so I don't want to go so quickly that we, we ignore what we want to learn, okay? So the first thing we understand then is that Christ came as king, John 18, 37. I should bear witness unto the truth. 
Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And over and over echoed throughout the uh, Gospels, especially, we hear that Christ was born king, king of the Jews. Christ was born a king to rule. And so he was born as royalty. He was born, though in a humble way, he was born as king. Then we see that he died as a king. Mark chapter 15, verse 32. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Okay, so what we need to understand, Christ never refuted the fact that people would call him. We see when Pilate's talking to him, are you king of the Jews? Well, that's what you say. And he never, he never said, no, I'm not. He said, you say that I'm king of the Jews, and to this end I'm come, that I would speak the truth, that I would show you the truth. And then even mockingly while on the cross, people understood the claim that he had. There's the king of Israel dying on the cross, ha-ha, when in reality he really was. And so then what we need to understand is that he rose as a king and then was coronated. So Christ really is king. He was crowned at the resurrection. Now I'm going to look. There's a whole lot here. Um, mm, here's what I'm going to do for you guys for sake of time. You have all the references in the Old Testament. Okay, You've got the Psalm 16.10, Psalm 110.1, Psalm 2.7. Okay? You guys double check me on these things. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2, which we've been there before, but it's, it's really a pivotal passage here. Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 36. So we have Peter getting up. He's preaching. He's in the middle of a sermon. He says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he's both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. We know exactly where David's at. Therefore, being a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of what? The resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. There's our Psalm 16.10. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. They've seen this happen. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David is not the one that ascended up into heaven, right? But he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, this is Psalm uh, um where are we at here? Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So at the resurrection, something happened. Christ was recognized as the ruler, the Lord, the authority, the king. Now, what he is doing, he currently reigns in the midst of his enemies, and he's bringing them all under his feet. We're going to see the coronation of this one day. We're going to see Christ return. We're going to see ju uh, judgment happen. We're going to see all of these amazing things, these, this coronation of him bringing it all under his feet. But it has 
started. Because remember what we talked about on the first lesson. We can have that cling-on mentality, that idea of, oh no, it's all getting so bad. Or we can have a victorious mentality of, oh, wait a second, Christ is king. He is in control. He's bringing it all underneath of his feet right now. So again, we see that Old Testament quote in Psalm 110, verse 2, where he's bringing all things. Thou must sit, you can sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. But then we go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 and 25. Christ is reigning. He will continue to reign. He's bringing all things under his feet. There's going to be a day where it all finally culminates and everybody, every eye looks, every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Christ truly is Lord, though we did not want to recognize it. But the reality is, today, he is ruling. He is a sovereign king over this world. And this is important. We're hammering in this point because of where we're getting ready to head. We have to get it into our minds that we serve a king, not some king somewhere, but the king of America, the king of Virginia, the king of Chuk. He is that king. He, he bought all power. He earned all power through his death, burial, and resurrection. And therefore now he has no rival. 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 through 16. Thank you. There's no rival for Christ, no matter how much it might seem that way at times. No matter how wicked we might see a government. For instance, we just had elections in, in the Federated States of Micronesia. I was looking at the results. There's a guy, Peter Christian. He was the president when all of our debacle happened. And uh, he's just really not, not, and I'm not just saying this because uh, of what happened to us there. He's objectively a very immoral man. Like, you, people know it. There's corruption. You can trace it. He's, he's not even, I don't even think he's still allowed to enter into the United States because of all the corrupt dealings he's done. This guy's wicked. He just got reelected to Congress. He's in the bidding for president. Now, he probably won't make it, but he's elected back into power. You look at things like that and you go, wait a second, but Christ says, look, I have no rival. Those things, those kings, water in my hand, man. It's okay. And so what we need to understand is Christ is not a king. I know I've said it, but we've got to get it. Christ is not a king out there. He's not a king one day. He's not a king that, you know, oh, it'll all be all right. One, he's a king now that rules and reigns and has real objective authority. That's why this next, that we had to establish that so that we understand the next point. But first of all, I've got a question. How did the fact that Christ is king affect the early Christians as opposed to how it often affects us, especially here in the West today? So uh, I don't know. I was trying to make it as non-wordy as possible, but I want some feedback if possible. When you look at these early Christians, they recognize Christ is Lord. Christ is king. That had real-world 
implications for them. For us, we get to say Christ is king, but it doesn't mean a lot for us sometimes. What kind of, how did that affect them, but not us so much? I'm not sure if I'm clarifying. Yeah, no, you're getting there. I think, yeah, because they experienced Yes. Your no, I can't. <laughs> Brother Anderson. Because of the persecution that they went yeah. through. Yeah. Um, and, and what they had to go through. I mean, mm. they just, it was more real to them mm. um, that they were willing to sacrifice even their very life. Mm. Yeah. Uh, for the truth. Yes, sir. And that's right. And we don't have, I mean, because the freedoms we have today and mm. stuff like that, specifically in the West, mm. I mean, we go out and we worship Christ. Yeah. We don't have to worry about that right now. Yes, sir. Whereas they did. Good. Yes, sir. Pastor? There was never a point where the Lord told his disciples to take up arms and fight. Right. Uh, you know, Jesus said, if, if I had come to conquer now, my disciples would. Mm. would do that but that's not why I've come mm. this time and even when we come back when the Lord does fight and take his earthly throne we're just spectators mm. doesn't need our assistance mm. to conquer um, that way now greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world so even our own sin our own flesh we need his help uh, with that, but he conquers through us if mm. we yield. Amen. Yes. And that's, that's yes, so all of these are to the point where they saw Christ, Christ, it, they were dealing with persecution, Christ conquers through our yielding, and we kind of see this culminate a lot in Philippians, right? Paul talks about becoming uh, a citizen of heaven. We are citizens of heaven is, is really kind of the way that it talks about it in Philippians, and he uses a formula where he basically says, if we confess, right, that Christ is Lord, this is what they had to do to Caesar. They would have to go, they would have to take a pinch of incense, they would have to put it in an altar, and they'd have to say, Caesar is Lord. And Paul takes that formula and flips it, and he says, no, 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 you say that Christ is Lord. That was a real political implication that these people were saying, it's not Caesar. He's little K king. Christ is big K king. And so that we have that where nowadays in our culture, especially, we're so individualistic. You know, we can, we can get away with saying anything we want to about the president, and they can't do anything to us. So we're like, yeah, you know, you stink or whatever. As a, and, and so it, it doesn't affect us as much when we confess that Christ is king. But it should. It should start to really, if we really believe Christ is king, it begins to inculcate, to infiltrate into that culture because then it takes away some of that individualism. And we become citizens of a kingdom that Christ supremely rules, not citizens of a nation that you can kind of do what you want unless you really kind of break the law in a bad way. So that's one area, all right? So what is our position then in this kingdom? This is pretty neat. Romans, let me divvy up some more. Where did we leave off? Uncle Brian, uh, Romans 8, 17, please. Uh, Brother Tavis, Hebrews 1, 2. Mr. Shoemaker, let's see, I'll do that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, please. 
All right. So what is our position then in the kingdom? We're going to have to go. Oops. Back that up. First of all, we are joint heirs. So Romans 8.17. Great. Thank you. Subclay Ramanoi, right? Okay, so I want you to start on your on your papers, okay? You got the Greek word and then you have it in in Roman letters and English letters. And you'll notice that that prefix S U N. You're gonna see that a couple of times. Can mean together with, right? And so we are fellow heirs. We are heirs together with Christ. This is amazing. Because Romans 8, he's talking about the adoption, right? We're adopted into, into the Father. He takes us as his own children. And now Christ, he's, right, he's the firstborn. He is, he's the one. But we get to be fellow heirs, joint heirs with him. But what are we joint heirs of? And that Hebrews 1, 2 can shed some light on that. So Christ is heir to all things, and we are joint heirs with him. That's a pretty amazing thought, and I know if our heads are screwed on straight, nobody here is thinking, all right, yeah, I'm on par, on par with Christ. Like, I don't think I have to really spell that out for anybody here, but in case you're listening online, I'm not saying that. So, um, But what, what it's saying is Christ is heir to all things, and we get to be the little brother that tags along and goes, that's my big brother. I get part of that too. That's amazing to me. So our position is that we are joint heirs. Not only that then, but in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 through 7, we are co-rulers with him. Galatians, Ephesians, where am I at here? Yes, Ephesians 2. There we go. My brain's all mixed up. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7, And you hath he quickened, he's made alive, who were dead, and trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle, our uh, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, Look then, I don't think I have it in the notes, but uh, on up here, but in your notes, you'll see two more soon words, right? You have soon again, he raised us up together. So in Christ, Christ was dead. He took on all of our sins. We too are born dead in our own sins. And somehow, in a way, I don't know if we'll ever understand seven millennia from now, the moment Christ raised up from the dead, I raised with him as soon as my faith was placed into him. I was raised up 
with him. But not only that, now I get to soon ekathason. I get to sit together with him. Where is he sitting? Right hand of God. He's ruling over things. He is king of nations and we get to sit with him. What I'm trying to establish is our authority, not our authority, but the authority we have under Christ. Remember what we talked about with Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, where this word dominion is given. If you remember what it meant, this word dominion, Christ really honestly gave Adam and Eve rule over all things on the earth. But that word dominion meant to rule on the behalf, underneath of the authority of another. And that's this idea is we're setting up, we don't have power, we don't have dominion because of who we are or what we have attained, but the very fact that we sit with Christ has given us something that we could never have attained. And so we are co-rulers with him, we're co-heirs with him, now, this one isn't a co, but we're ambassadors with him, right? This is an important one. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Go ahead and read both. Thank you. All right, how many of you, anybody ever met an ambassador before? Yeah? Okay. How many of you were truly impressed by the ambassador you met? No. Yeah, right. For us, at least, like, I've met the ambassador. We met, what, how many ambassadors have we met to the FSM? Two, at least, and then several of their deputies. And it's kind of like, whoop-de-doo, you know? Like, you guys, you guys are bureaucrats. You're getting paid to do nothing for me. <laughs> and, uh, like, you know, this... Lame, right? So we look at ambassadors and we're like, nah. But you look at ambassadors in the old time. And harming an ambassador was the same thing as harming the sovereign of that nation. If you, if the ambassador were to come and to say, listen, we're going to give you a chance to surrender. And you harmed that ambassador. That was tantamount to killing the king. And so... This is the idea. We don't have some weak sauce ambassadors in the Bible that we're talking about here. This is, we are truly, under Christ, ambassadors in the fullest sense of the word. We are truly representatives of him. So the question then, what I'm getting at, how then, right, Christ wants to bring order. We don't see Jesus right now. He's ruling in the heavens, but how is he doing this? He uses you and me. Now, he sovereignly reigns over all things, over the hearts of men. He does things that we cannot, but how is he spreading out his kingdom? Just as Pastor said, through our submission to him. And so, what are some practical ways then that these real positions should affect our everyday lives and conversations. Yes, Brother Mike. Don't laugh too hard, but I, in my neighborhood, I'm, I bring in trash cans off the street. Yes, sir. And 
some people have asked me, you know, they, uh, I've asked him to talk to a few folks about that. Yes. I don't say a word to them. I just bring it in and put it in front of their garage. Yes, sir. Amen. And uh, Sir Walter Clinton is my street. That's good. So I don't see, uh, I think my neighbor started doing it too. <laughs> he started to join in, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, what are some other ways then that maybe this is th this idea of this authority that Christ has somehow bestowed upon us? Let me give you an idea of where I'm heading to. We live in an age, especially right now, where there are many people that say they have authority. You have to listen to the science. You have to listen. You can't have an opinion if you don't know, you know, if you're not an expert in this field. Where there's obviously wisdom in listening to people that have studied things out more than we have. That's not what I'm saying. What I am trying to get at is when, when everybody you talk to believes that you have to be an expert here and an expert there, we bring the authority of Christ to every situation. We bring the authority of Christ to a gender-confused child. We bring the authority of Christ when we go and confront an abortion advocate. We bring the authority of Christ when we are dealing with rowdy neighbors. Now, that doesn't give us the authority to do whatever we want, but what it does mean is that we are ambassadors, representatives of the King. We're not over here spouting off little timid opinions, at least we shouldn't be, but rather we should be boldly declaring the things of the Lord, and now you know you have the authority to do so. An ambassador doesn't have the authority to go out and say, hey, uh, I'm the ambassador of the country, and so uh, give me everything I want. That's not the authority he possesses. He possesses the authority to speak in the name of the king and to do his will. You and I possess that authority in our workplaces, in our homes, in our communities. We possess that same authority. Yes, sir. And that's Acts 1 8. Yes. All power, all authority. You're getting ahead of me, Pastor. Come on now. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. All right. We don't have Acts 1 8 in the, in the thing, but we're getting there because now we're, all right, we're zooming, we're funneling in. We got 12 minutes left, all right? So hang in there. If Pastor don't take all my thunder, we're going to be all right. So, no, no. <laughs> You're right. It's not on there. I do apologize. All right. But other, something close to it is. So, all right. So, therefore, our mission, right? If Christ is king, is Christ king? That's his anthem right there. That's, no, I'm kidding. All right. If Christ is king, which I believe we believe that, I hope we believe that, and I hope it's not a fuzzy kingship that we believe, but that he's actually, really, truly the king. If he is king... And we are co-equal, or not co-equal, excuse me, co-reigning, co-heirs, ambassadors of his kingdom. Our mission is order. Amen. Everything around us is in chaos. But then, first of all, then, the original mandate still holds. I'm going to trust you guys to go out and double-check what I say, because we're running to the end here, and I don't, we're not going to get to all of the passages, just some of the, the big ones that I need to. So go back and double-check what I say, and don't just take my word for it. Our original mandate still holds, right? What's the original mandate? Have dominion over all the earth, right? That still holds, and I think a lot of Christians kind of poo-poo on that. They, oh, you know, the environmentalists over there. Oh, these, you know, these puppy lovers, they... 
Yes, those things have been elevated, but we also are to have dominion over all of these things. We are. A righteous man regards the life of his beast, right? We are to care for trees. We are to care for the planet. We are to do all of these things. And so our original mandate still holds that order to nature and the world. So Christians, then, we should be concerned with things like art, culture, music, landscaping, architecture, culinary arts, beauty, high culture, low culture, and everything in between. We should be concerned about those things. Rather than scoffing at, all oh, these artists over here. No, Christians should take art. Christians should take music. Christians should take uh, the, the movie industry. Christians should get involved and redeem culture. We are to bring order to this. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, not necessarily in this context, but the, the quote really, I like this quote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, I love, man, he's an awesome guy. Uh, Pastor, prophet, martyr, spy, if you haven't read that, excellent book. If I sit next to a madman as he drives a car into a group of innocent bystanders, I can't, as a Christian, simply wait for the catastrophe, then comfort the wounded and bury the dead. I must try to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver. Satan has taken over the beauty that God put onto this earth. And yes, he has elevated things. He's elevated whales and puppies and trees above human being children. But we're not to sit there and go, well, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that later. No, we wrestle it out of his hands. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and darkness of this world. We are to take and redeem in the power of Christ all that we see around us. Now, we could stay here for a long time, but we can't. And so, now our updated mandate must be fulfilled. Here, Pastor, this one's going to help you now, okay? Matt, can you read Matthew 28, 18, and 19? We're going to skip all the way. All right, there we go. And then, um, let's see, I'm going to get, where did we leave off at over here? Brother Warren, Psalm 8, 6, if you could, please. Pappy, Psalm 2, 8. And that's where we'll be at for now. All right, so what is our new mandate? It is to bring order to the nations. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so there's, there it is, all power. Every last ounce of it. Psalm 8, 6. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Now remember how we took that that was what man was supposed to be. We failed. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us, right? You go back and look in your notes. Hebrews 2 applies that to Christ. It says not all of it is under the feet of man yet, but he made Christ. We see Christ who's a little lower than the angels, who was crowned with suffering for you and for me, and now all things are under his feet. And so all power, this is interesting. This is the word exousia. It's not the word dunamis. It's not like there's dunamis, which is like, uh, uh, you know, explosive power, right? Great power. This is exousia, which means authority, power to preside over. That's the power that's given to Christ. Absolute, 
undeniable authority. But what's interesting, it was edothei, it was a passive verb, it was given to him. It, it wasn't something, Christ came as a king, he died, he rose again, and all of that power then was given to him. Now, this is righteous uh, sancti sancti what do you say? Sanctified imagination. Psalm 8, 6. I think they fit together. Sorry. Psalm 2, 8. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. That word heathen can be translated as nations. All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth, and therefore go and baptize go go and teach all nations why was everything given to him why was all authority perhaps because he asked christ came i i can't there are probably there i know we know there's words that were recorded in heaven you and i don't have the privilege of seeing but christ on the ascension as he came before the father i can almost imagine him quoting psalm 2 8 Father, you said to ask of you, and you would give me the heathen, the nations for my inheritance, I now ask. And he came back and he said, all authority is now given to me. Go win the nations, bring them to order. Now, because of Christ's authority, we as Christians also have an authority, right? Go back to point two, right? If Christ has authority, we're co-reigning with him. We're co-heirs with him. We are ambassadors of Christ. If he has all authority, then he has delegated some of that to you and to me. So what does it mean then for nations to be discipled? I think this is where a lot of us get it wrong in missions, even, uh, I'm saying missionaries, a lot of us missionaries get it wrong. Our goal is to get in there and to see a few people saved and let's hope we can train a few pastors and, you know, we really, we're just, we're there to help because good night, the end is near and so we got to go and just save as many people as we can. But Christ said, disciple nations. Transform them through the gospel power. So what does this mean? I don't think it means just a few people saved from every, uh, just different tribes. We're good to go because there's 10 Chukis people saved. I think until my dying day or the day that Christ comes back, we should be fighting to see Chuk transformed into a place where Christ rules supreme. That is what I truly believe. It doesn't mean just a few people, but it means then that a disciple lives in obedience to the master. We're discipling the ethnos. We're discipling the nations. And therefore, being a discipled nation, then I think, must insinuate that that nation is under the lordship of Christ. Not that it's perfect. Not that everything about it breathes Christianity. But I believe that we should work to see Christ lifted up in these nations. What's the recipe for this? What is the recipe for order, bringing order to the nations? Well, we go, right? You probably have heard this before, but uh, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and disciple, that's the word teach, go, go and disciple all nations. That's the main verb. Go, baptize, and teach are all adjectives basically describing the word make disciples of. So what's the main command? You go out and you make disciples. How do you do that? By going, 
by baptizing them, right? You can't get baptized unless you believe the gospel. And then by teaching them to observe all of these things, bringing nations under the commands, under the structure of God's word. All right. Doesn't matter how fast I want to go. It always goes too quickly the time. We're going to try to finish this up then. Um, think about that question. We don't have time to talk about it at this moment. What are some practical ways then that we are bringing order? Okay, we, this entire series has been about bringing order to chaos. Tonight we culminate. Christ is king. We are in that kingdom with him. Yes, brother? Yes. Yes. And so we, we, we crescendo with that, right? Christ is king. We also have this authority in him. Christ has given us this mandate. I am the king. I am the ruler of all things. Now you're my ambassadors. Go out to the nations and bring order. What does that look like? And we have talked about it. Brother Mike, you've said some things. Uncle Brian, you've said some things. Here's the definition of order. Anything that is in alignment with Christ's character and rule. And so, how do we do this? First of all, where am I at here? We order our own life first. Now, we don't have time, but 1 Corinthians uh, 9, 24-27, Paul says, look, I bring my own body under subjection, lest I myself should be considered a castaway. How do we bring order? Well, we have to bring our own order to our own selves first. Our lives must first line up with Christ. What are my habits? What's my typical first reaction? What are my things that are my personal, um, what are my things or are my personal space? What does it look like? Am I, you know, completely disheveled all the time or do I have some semblance of order? I'm not saying everything is perfect. What are my biggest temptations or distractions and how often do they overcome me? Do I obey every craving that I have? What are my manners? Do I rest the way that Christ has told us to? Is my family in order? Are my finances in order? These are just basic thoughts when we think about bringing our own selves into order first. But then, and as we've touched on many, many times, sorry, and that word, bring under subjection, it's a play off of the word slavery. And so he's saying, bring your own body into being a slave to yourself, basically. And then we need to worry about excellence over perfection. That's what we're trying to get to. Now, we fulfill our calling well. We've talked about this on many different levels. Brother Mike brings up the garbage cans and lets people touch the chickens so that he can begin to talk to them. We order our own circle. We've talked about this, but remember, there is no division of sacred and secular in the Christian life. All things are holy when they are done unto the Lord. If I can just put it real blunt and practical, when Silas is up at night, you have the opportunity to bring order for Christ and to, to, to bring the kingdom in that moment. That's an opportunity you have that we don't. And it stinks, but it's there. We have the opportunity in the middle of pain to bring order to our surroundings by simply fulfilling my calling to the very best that I can for Christ. We have the opportunity to bring finances to help people to turn wood. We have uh, shipbuilders in here that are build building things. Anywhere that we are called to be, 
We must bring order to it. And that is holy before the Lord. We need to be imitators of Christ. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We need to imitate Christ. And remember that there's no division, right? We're wrapping up. I'm so, so I wish we had like, we're going to have to touch the last two points, I think, at next, next week. But I'll leave them with you and then we'll, we'll, we'll dig into them deeper next week. We worship Jesus in all things. How do we bring order? By worship. Psalm 67 is amazing. Psalm 67 teaches us that when we worship and we recognize Christ as Lord, nations come to Him through our worship. How do we bring order to the chaos around us? We worship when the world is going to pot. We worship when everything else around us is miserable. We don't worship because we're kind of trying to contrive it and I feel so good right now. Worship can simply be God. You're in control. This circumstance stinks, but I'm going to just sit here and I'm going to just wait on you. That brings order to a situation that otherwise would not have order. And then we live out the gospel. Next week we're going to talk about the gospel as the ultimate antidote to chaos. The gospel must infuse every aspect of life. But how do we then practically bring order? We order our own lives. We fulfill our callings well. We worship with abandon every moment we get. And we live out the gospel. All of that, all of this entire seven weeks to this one point, things that you already know, but I hope you see it through that different prism of a diamond, of, of, of chaos to order. This is something that Christ has you partaking in tonight. Father, help us to bring order to that which is around us for your glory and in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.